As you sit down, make sure you pull out your Bible or one of those pew Bibles there in front of you. We're going to be making our way through the book of Philippians today. Again, I've got the large print. One of these weeks, I'll be able to tell you a page number if I think ahead that far. Philippians comes right after Ephesians and before Colossians, which we found that recently, so you can probably get there. And as you get there, uh, I want you to find your way to chapter 1, verse 9. That's where we're going to start. Uh, What I'm doing today is trying to go through the whole book in two sermons. So I am going to be skipping over a number of passages, but many of them were picked up at that first sermon at the 8 o'clock service, which you can always find on YouTube. If you search for my name, Jonathan Fisk, or Rev, like Reverend Rev Fisk on YouTube, you'll find out more than you can shake a stick at, and more than you want of me on YouTube. Um, But you'll be able to find our sermons live if you're ever missing church, uh, or you want to catch the other service later. Also, if you're one of those newfangled people, we're not that newfangled anymore, I'm, I'm getting gray, but if you're one of those podcasting people, right, you got your phone, you get the podcast, if you look for Saved in iTunes or anywhere you find podcasts, just Saved, you'll be able to quickly find all our sermons from here going forward. Nothing else on that channel, just the sermons of St. Paul under Saved as a podcast. All right, so you found your way, hopefully by now, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul is in jail. He's probably in Rome. I'm going to go super fast. Philippi was a place he went when he left Asia Minor after having a dream to go and help the Macedonians. He gets there. He converts a lady named Lydia and some others who he finds at a prayer place by the river. Things are going well. They're making Christians. But after four days of a demonically possessed girl shouting at him, he finally casts the demon out and that gets him arrested. While being arrested, he's singing some psalms. There's an earthquake. The doors open and nobody escapes. Instead, they save the life of the jailer by staying put. As a result of that, him and all of his household are converted. Paul will leave the area very quickly after this. Of course, the authorities are kind of after him. But uh, you have a good nugget, a good start for the mission church in Philippi. And so Paul now, many years later, is writing back to this community of people he loves, people he expects to see in paradise, telling them about his own afflictions in prison and how this is all for the good of the gospel. Now, with that as our introduction, I want to really focus on verse 9, though, where he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Or I believe in the King James, it's knowledge and wisdom. You can debate what is the distinction between wisdom and discernment. In English, I think you're kind of up a creek. You just got to make something up. If you go back and study the book of Proverbs carefully, you will find there are very specific differences between these things. Knowledge is what you might consider book smarts. It's information. Hey, he is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. That's knowledge. It's good knowledge, right? There's such a thing as bad knowledge and false knowledge. But wisdom is not so much what you know as what you do with what you know. Yeah, the street smarts that some people maybe think about. Or since you know that he is risen. Hallelujah. How then does your life look different than the life of those who don't know such things? who must live in fear of death, who must live in worship of their belly, as we just heard read a few moments ago. What I want you to see here is that Paul wants you to have both of these things. He wants you to know what the Bible says, 
and he wants you to know how to live. And these are actually not the same. They are a relationship with each other, a tension between what has been written once for all and then the world you see out there with a liar whose conscience is seared, who has no problem changing the meaning of words. If you track the Old Testament carefully, you find there comes a time where God finally says to the people, look, whatever you're calling good right now, it's actually evil. And whatever you're calling evil right now, it's actually good. So I can't really help you because your words are messed up. You got the wrong words. Christians have the right words in the scriptures. And the reason that I am, I want to say exhausting myself. I don't mean making myself tired. I mean, just everything that exhausts from my mouth this year toward you is trying to get you to read the Bible is because I know for a fact that entertaining as I might be up here dancing in a pulpit, it's not going to do anything for you compared to praying the Psalms every day in your life, reading one proverb a day and making a note on it, finding your way into some of these passages we look at on Sunday and regurgitating them for yourself throughout the week. That will change your life. And I don't mean that it's going to make you happy all the time. I do mean it's going to make you able to handle your afflictions all the time. You're going to take it standing up. Instead of like the rest of the world, it's always got to take it running with tail between legs. This is my prayer for you, that you as a people, as a parish, as families, as households, would abound in all wisdom and discernment. So that, verse 10, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. One of the most difficult things about our times is discovering how to approve what is excellent and how to discern what is false. Recently, I was given a letter by someone who, after being told over and over again by family members and workers and a bunch of other things that they had to go get the vaccine, finally had one of the people who kept trying to pressure him with pressure tactics say, why don't you want to? And he wrote a letter. He wrote a long letter. I I won't belabor you with the entire thing. But he was thankful to be able to finally say to this person, I have a reason for thinking the way I do. And the primary reason for him is his conscience is tied up in how abortion and the pharmaceutical industry at this point are like this. And it's very difficult to get it apart. The one piece of information out of it that sticks in my mind again is a bit of news from a couple weeks ago about how inner board of directors conversations at Pfizer said and are recorded as wanting to not let people know that these products were tested on aborted fetuses. We must not let anybody know this because people won't want to take it then. That issue right there shows you what a hard time we live in. I don't say this so you will think what I think. I say this so you will know you need to have your own discernment. You can't rest on me. You can't rest on the TV. You can't rest on anybody but Jesus. We all know that. That's why we're here, right? Okay, then. Well, then get into the Bible yourself so that, again, you will be able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Now, before anybody gets too upset, I have good friends who are inoculated, I will not be inoculated. We're still friends. We're still Christians. 
We ought to be able to do this. We ought to be able to do this. Yes? All right. Continuing forward then here, I want us to skip ahead to chapter 1, verses 27. We're going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 16. A big chunk here. But catch this. What is excellent? We want to have lives that pursue what God has surely said. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. How rich is that? My goodness, I should just read it again rather than talk about it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that's Paul, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. I said it in the last sermon, so I might as well say it again here. If there is one thing that has been most disturbing to me over the last two years, it is discovering how afraid American Christians are to die. This should not be. Especially when our fears often aren't even in our face. We aren't running from lions. We don't have people throwing us out of our houses. We just have the news. And we are so afraid of it that we will do anything, even divide ourselves, pick fights with our family and friends so that we can feel safe from the news. Now, like I said, we ought to be able to have divergent opinions upon how to discern what is true and false as the stories come. The way we do that is that we do not diverge from what the text clearly says. We bind our minds and our hearts to what we know to be sure. And can I say it again? He is risen. Alleluia. That is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the victory over death, which the one man, Jesus Christ, has already achieved as a free gift for all people, for all humanity. Nobody's left out of this promise, yes? And in that reality, this good news of Christ we are also given a new life, a new lease on this life to learn what this life is for, that it is not for the hoarding of things for our own pleasure, nor to try to keep it as long as we can, but instead to see it is a place where there are many others who need us, whether it be Christians who need our love or non-Christians who need our confession. Hmm? And so staying firm means being ready in the face of whatever comes our way to declare that we know who God is. And as it was said last week still very well, he is the God who hears and answers our prayers. And so I'm going to say this all year to you. I am absolutely convinced, no matter what news station you listen to, I know they're telling you it's all wrong, it's all bad, there's all this danger. What should we do? We should pray to Jesus more. That's what we should do. We should stop thinking that by voting this person or that person in or out, we're going to fix anything. I don't believe that for a second. 
We should stop thinking that the modern life that we've built up is going to go on like this forever. Some people say the world's going to be on fire in 12 years. Some people say we're all going to have bad population destruction by 2050. I don't know. But what I do know is that if we want to have good lives, wherein we see our sons and our sons' sons, wherein our families are united in faith in Christ, it will begin not by lifting our own hands, but by asking our Lord to mercifully build us up. And again, I would think, I would think after the last two years we've gone through, pews in churches across this nation would be full. But you know what? They're not. They're emptier than they've ever been. Why do I say this? Because St. Paul, you're special. You're here because you believe the Bible. You're united, even though the world is trying to divide you, and you remain so. So then let us hear this encouragement and let our lives be seeking that manner, worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? How are you worthy of the resurrection of Jesus? You believe it. You believe it. It's true. It's been given to you. So now take steps in line with that truth. Yes, seeking that one spirit, not being frightened by our opponents. More on them toward the end. He'll get very clear. Verse, the verse 28 continues. And this is about us not being afraid of those who attack us. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. One of the things you'll find when you start taking stands on conviction based on the Bible is that there's people who don't like it. You say, you know, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. And some people say, no, no, you're hateful. And then some of the same people who say, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, if you say marriage is between a man and a woman to have children, some of those people turn on you and say, no, 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 you're hateful or maybe only one or two at most, it's quite amazing how hard it is to actually say, no, marriage has been given for the fruitfulness of humanity, and he's told us to increase and not decrease. And no matter what stories come from far away, there's nothing better that can be done for the next generation than to have them. I mean, think about it, yeah? But what am I getting at here again? Whatever the issue is, when you take a stand on it, I believe the Bible says this is good. I'm going to live this way. Somebody who has no grace in Jesus hears that, and it's, it's the stench of their own death. They're like, but I don't live that way. And then they start to say to you, you think you're better than I am. No, 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 no. No, I just think this way is the way that God has made. Don't be surprised by this then. It's a sign of impending destruction upon the people who hate you when they hate you for believing what the Bible says. For it has been granted to you, verse 29 goes on, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, oh man, highlight that with this one right here, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Remember, demonically possessed girl thrown into prison. He's in prison right now. Why? And he says in another place, I don't think we'll look at it in this service, how the entire imperial guard knows why Paul is in jail because they're the ones in charge of keeping track of him. I mean, Caesar's best troops all have heard, you know, there's this guy named Paul. And I'm not sure. They threw him in prison because they think he's dangerous. But I think he's just crazy. 
I mean, he hasn't started any riots himself. He doesn't even want to pick up a weapon, but he says this guy, Jesus, is still alive. It's really weird. They killed him. They say he's still alive. Huh? For the sake of that truth, I'll say it again. He is risen. You must, thank you. You must expect suffering to come into your life. And when it does, when you find yourself suffering for the sake of the word of God, don't be surprised. And at that moment, dig in deeper. Stand up firmer. Your day of salvation approaches. Tangent. This last week, I was using a devotional that I've discovered. Uh, believe it or not, it's the Roman Catholic Daily Lectionary. Go figure. Man, did they put together a good one, though. Um, and it makes use of some of the books out of the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is that intertestamental section that was in Luther's German Bible, but all the English Bibles don't have it in, and there's a long story as to why that is. Not all of it is historically accurate, so it's not like it is the Bible, but the, the book of wisdom in it is really quite full of wisdom. And one of the things it talks about is how God sometimes lets someone die young because if they were to live longer, the wickedness of the world would deceive them and take them away. And so because they already have the fullness of truth, he takes them now so that we can be with them in paradise forever. So again, when the suffering comes at you, you must always know it is not that you would, what, be pushed down into the muck, but that instead, knowing that you're in the muck, you would lift up your head all the more, seeing that there is a salvation from this. Yes? Engaged in this conflict against the devil and the hordes of hell who want to do all these things to distract you from the certainty of the life of the world to come. And yeah, I think for a good generation and a half, we were distracted by how good it was. That was his game. I'm going to make you bored. I'm going to make you tired of it. I'm going to make you want to do other stuff. Now, the Lord has actually let the suffering come so that we would no longer be distracted. So that in the suffering, we would see, oh, this world isn't really all the TV says it's cracked up to be. I mean, Disneyland's great and all, but you got to go home. And have you seen the trash and the, uh, what, the carbon footprint that thing makes? Well, think about it that way. It's suffering no matter how you look at it. And for the Christian to understand that this is to be unified with your Lord. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Look at what he did for you. That's coming in, in chapter 2 here, which is where we're going to continue on. Pick up, if you haven't, at chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, do you have any belief in Jesus? Any comfort from love, that's the love of God. Any participation in the Spirit, do you know that Jesus is risen? Any affection and sympathy, then what? Verse 2, do this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does that mean? He's going to tell us, so let's keep reading. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, and it's going to go on now and preach him. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, we're at verse 8 now, and being found in human form, the Greek says, as a man, being found as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That beautiful section is, is very famous. It clearly is an early Christian hymn. If you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's poetry. And we're not going to dig too deep on that. And there's a lot of narrows we could get into there. But the key, again, is that the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus, is the one that sees death as not the end of life. Death because of him, is now just a pit stop into the next and even better life. And this is certainly verified by his resurrection from the dead. So that by death, he conquered death. And he gives this freely to all who believe. So that we go out again and say, he is risen. Alleluia. And that seed plants into people's hearts and arises as faith in God, filled with the Spirit to be hungry to know more. Also, we know from the parable of the sower and the parable of the tares that there are bad seeds out there, tares and weeds sown by the enemy, that the crow comes and he snatches the word of God, that the rocks and the soil can squelch you under the heat of the sun, that there are the weeds which will choke out your life, the cares and trials of this life. But the reason for that parable is not to make you worried about whether or not you're good seed. The reason for that parable is to make you all the more say, dear Jesus Christ, you are the good seed. And you are the one who has conquered death. You are the one who has the mind that I want. And again, here it is written for us in the word. So make Paul's joy complete. Make my joy as your pastor complete by designing your heart and mind to be like his clinging to the scriptures all the more, going home from church with a note on a card not only to look at, but maybe to go read again. So to review here, go look at this afternoon. Actually, we haven't seen this, but go look at chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, where it talks about how to die in Christ is gain, is gain. Or go look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where you rejoice in rejecting the false teachers. What an interesting idea that is. Okay, but let's, let's continue with where we are. Go back into verse 8, where it says again, he was found as a man, and he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think I can promise you that most of you will not be crucified. I'm not a prophet. Things could get weird. But I really don't think that will happen. I cannot promise you, especially if you are young, that you will not find persecution in your life. Nor can I promise you even now that you will never in your life be a refugee. Because I know they watch me on YouTube and send me messages about people who are facing refugee status right now in their lives in Western countries. Yeah? Canada, Australia, places like that where the hand is very heavy right now. It says it's all about this story we hear, 
one has to wonder at a certain point, especially as they find themselves no longer able to work. The Denver or the, the Colorado governor recently signed a bill. You might look at it. It's pretty crazy what he's willing to do as an executive order there. What could happen in this country? I'm not saying it's here now. I'm saying it's time for you to stop thinking it's always going to be the way it is. We just don't know. We just don't know. And so have the mind of Christ, which knows that no matter what happens here, it's for your faith, to strengthen your trust in him, it's to build you up with each other, and if you are to suffer and die, it's to take you to a better place. Definitely to take you to a better place. So that Christ, when he goes to this cross, as the author of the Hebrews tells us, it was for the joy set before him. You remember the prayer in the garden. He did not want to die on the cross. Father, take this cup from me. Yet if it is your will, therefore I know because it is your will, it is for something better. And what is that? To bind the strong man and pillage his house and get the treasure, which is you. Yeah, that's you. So all the more, knowing that your treasure, knowing that your identity in Christ has been confirmed by your baptism into his death and resurrection, have that same mind. I don't mean go out and search for death. I don't mean do something foolish or live poorly. One of the other things that's been missing from our, what, our media storm this past year, two years, is how one of the best things you can do if you're concerned about dying is eat differently. It, it's really true. It's really true. There's nothing wrong with eating nutritious food. You're allowed to do that as a Christian, but don't do it because you think that by becoming healthy, you're going to live longer than you would if you didn't. Know that your days are written in God's book, and this is for your faith and your confidence that you don't have to be afraid of what comes your way, but can stand firmly in your identity. You're a child of God. You're an immortal now. Yeah? He is risen. Hallelujah. All right. So then. We're going to keep going from chapter 2, verse 12, where we get some language that Lutherans tend to be a little bit uncomfortable with. It says there, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here's that language, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, first, see the back end of that? Did Paul say that you're going to do this without God? Not at all. God's going to work in you for his pleasure. And the result of God working in you for his pleasure, according to his word, is that you will have the experience of having to work out your own salvation. This is where we started, knowledge and discernment, having to be able to choose what is excellent amongst things that are not excellent. But he says to do this now, notice, with fear and trembling. What would be the opposite of fear and trembling? Pride, pride. Be aware that if anything is certain right now, it's that nothing is certain right now. And so maybe just take a pill of humility and don't be so quick to judge your neighbor, even if you know they're wrong. Just hold your tongue for half a moment. And consider that if you think someone is wrong, you who are spiritual are to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness, Paul says in another place. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, because I have the opportunity, I do have to kick the dog while it's down. I heard a fascinating story uh, yesterday about a local church that had been visited by, by somebody who is not a member of ours, but they're telling me about this, telling about this church, eight o'clock in the morning, and I, I'm not kidding. Quote, I couldn't handle the strobe light. I couldn't handle the smoke. All right? Something in my heart says that working out our salvation with fear and trembling involves not putting on a show. I'll confess, I love this liturgy and I want it to be lifted up high and I'm often tempted to come away from church and think it wasn't good enough today. What I did, what we did all together, it wasn't a good enough show. I repent. I want to grow. I want to be better. So I'm not above anybody here, but see the need for reverence. See the need for our humility as we approach the altar of God. And recognize that maybe one of the reasons so few people are coming to churches these days is because there is so little fear and trembling in the churches. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Know that but for the grace of God, you will cast yourself into hell. So thanks be to God that he has given you grace and a book filled with wisdom to help you see the narrow path and how to walk in it surely and strongly. Mm -hmm. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I, that's Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul, again, is pretty convinced that he's going to be dying soon. And that language of being a drink offering is an Old Testament image. He sees himself as being part of the sacrifices of God in Christ. And so should you. That you would understand that whatever you lose in this life will be restored 100-fold in the life to come. Do you remember this? He says this to the apostles, leaving friends, family, houses, what have you. Nothing you lose will not be restored 100-fold and do you remember Pastor Kuhn said this last week? 100-fold? That's not even possible. No one gets 100-fold out of one grain. Never happens. But that's the promise of your body going into the grave in Christ and your life let go in this life for Christ. Hmm. So then holding fast to the word, you are going to be distinct from this crooked, twisted generation. That's every generation of unbelievers. There never is a generation on earth that is not crooked and twisted, seeking in some way to cast off God. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, taking a stand against God's Christ? And that's a good question. Why do they? And the answer is they've been deceived by our old evil foe, the devil. But you, not so. And so indeed, when you confess the faith, 
When you simply pray in your homes and ask God to change the problems that you see in the world, when you open up that Psalter and say Psalm 23 in the morning and Psalm 1 in the evening, God and the angels in heaven see you shining like light in the midst of this age of darkness. What Paul wants you to do and what I as your pastor wants you to do is to do that gladly. Not in fear, not by compilation, not out of guilt. Oh, pastor said I should read the Bible. I really... I want you to find there's nothing better. There's nothing more hopeful. That if you can get that moment in the afternoon, what should I do next? I have 15 minutes. Open those Psalms and be filled with the hope of a better life than this one. We're going to jump ahead here now to chapter 3, where Paul is going to begin warning us against these false teachers, uh, those who would try to lead you astray with demonic lies. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We're going to get to more of this rejoicing here in a few moments. He says, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I can back that right up to what I just said about having a moment in the afternoon to open that Psalter. It's only in the last couple of years I've discovered the power of this. And it's so weird because... Everything else in life, what you need is something new, right? I mean, I grew up on, <laughs> I grew up on Nintendo. Anybody even? Probably not. So there you go, like two of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Mario and Zelda. One of the things I found out about Nintendo, and this is, but you didn't have a billion games; you only had a few. But what I what I found out very quickly is I'd get this game I really wanted. Man, did I want that game bad! And like three weeks later, my eyes bleeding, I was really bored with that game. I was tired of it. I needed a new game. And I could even like not play that game for a long time. And I would go back and I'd say, no, no, I don't want to play that game. That game, I don't know. The same thing that I was addicted to. I couldn't get enough of it. Now uh, I need something new. That's the way entertainment works. You always need something new. The way the Psalms work is you want to go back to what you already had. Every day you want it again. My biggest problem right now is I've figured out how many of them are good. I can't fit them into my life every day. It's driving me crazy, actually. And then I feel like I need more. Yeah, I've only gotten to where I know and I can reference maybe 25 to 30 of them. There's 150. Huh? So I say this, again, to try to exhort and encourage you to believe, not that there's magic in these words, but that there's God in these words. And that what feels like because of the pressures of the world to be something that will be boring and dry if you'll just open up the same psalm several days in a row will start to become part of who you are and you won't want to be without it so paul says it's not a trouble to write the same thing because the same thing is good for you it's good to have the repetition it's good to have it built up in you it's good to say the creed every week so that we know it by heart yeah that kind of thing and then he gives his warning in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now clearly he's talking about the Judaizing parties that were sneaking into Christian congregations across the Mediterranean world and telling people that if they were not circumcised, they couldn't be saved. But the mutilation of the flesh 
and the reliance on the flesh is a far greater thing than just circumcision. Uh, it is the idea that somehow with this body, I will do something that will guarantee me eternal life. He says, watch out for that thought. Watch out for those people, especially when they come and try to do something to your body. Unless we get too distracted now, let me just talk about something that we all can easily agree on. Yeah? It is very clear at this moment in history that this country has an agenda to take little boys and cut off parts of their bodies to make them into little girls. It's not everybody, but it is out there. It flies flags with our nation in other countries. Do we really think this is a good thing? Do we really think God will bless this? If nothing else, then can we agree to pray that God would put an end to such mutilations? Huh? Yeah, thank you. Amen. Yeah, somebody testify. I had to have a conversation with my family this week about a different issue. Do you know on the other side of the planet, there's a completely different religion that likes to mutilate little girls. It does it at a young age because they are property and belong to the man who they will marry to be not in pleasure, but only in pain. So they have a practice, which is the mutilation of the flesh there. Part of their religion, not all people who practice their religion believe in that, but it is definitely there. What I want you to see is that the devil wants to convince us to hurt ourselves. He wants us to convince us to hurt those who are weakest and least among us. And that this is going to be done by telling us you're going to get something out of it. So whenever you have someone who comes along and says, unless you blank, you're going to blank. That's the time to step back and practice discernment. Yeah? And especially, especially if it comes to you in the name of Jesus Christ himself. For we know that there is nothing else to be added to this salvation. There is nothing else to be accomplished. Even our feeding with the sacrament, it's not a new thing. You're not doing this as a work in order to add to what's been done. All you're doing is receiving again the promise one more time in time for the sake of your faith to continue growing and walking. Mm -hmm. Continuing with, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. We want to jump to verse 7 in chapter 3 where it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The that was awesome. <laughs> uh, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Just verse 10 again. Let me read that again. That I may know the power of Christ's resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, Paul is not praying for crucifixion per se. What he's praying for is the good death that meets it in faith. Unwilling to move from what we know God has surely said, not letting anyone take the crown from you by threat, cajole, or swindle. Yes, 
Back to verse 7 again. So then, already, he counts all that he has as loss. This would be a challenge today to go home and think about this. Can I look at all that God has given me in this bountiful land of America where I have freedoms beyond imagination and where certainly the middle class still for a while seems to exist? Can I look at this and say, you know what? If it's all got to go away and I become a refugee, so be it. I mean, think about how hard that is, right? But that's what Paul is saying here. And he's challenging us to have that faith, whether such days come or not. Huh? Count all of it as loss already, which will then enable you, I promise, to see your neighbor more clearly. To see that homeless person on the street who, don't make any mistakes as I continue to encourage you to give packets to the homeless. I don't think they deserve it. They don't deserve our help. That's why we're supposed to help. It's called grace. It's called grace, right? Count what you have as loss and you will suddenly begin to see it's not there for you. It's there for you to share with those who are around you, knowing there will always be plenty because God has you in his hand. Count it all loss, everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and considering it even to be rubbish. You see that word rubbish there in the ESV? That's so polite. That's so polite. The word is scubula. It starts with an S, like the English word would start with an S if we translated it honestly. It is that crass of a term. He really considers it a dunghill, this life. Count it as that, not because it's not good to have a feast. I, I forget now if I said it this service or the last. I'll say it now anyway. Look, Thanksgiving's coming. Counting all things lost for the sake of Christ doesn't mean don't buy a turkey, don't have a good day. It means buy the best turkey you can, get the best food you can, let oil adorn your crown and invite some people. Enjoy it. Count it as loss as you use it for others, right? Share what you have with those around you and rejoice in the knowledge that we have all been purchased in Christ. And then as you're sitting at that dinner table with that friend and family member who doesn't really like the idea of Jesus, count that friendship loss too, as you are unafraid to pray, as you are unafraid to speak about what you believe as you are willing to endure the suffering of a relationship that is uncomfortable because it talks about needful things. Hmm? So that again, you may know in yourself the power of Christ's resurrection and be looking forward to it rather than clinging to this life. All right. Verse 12, we just did, right? No. Verse 12 of the same chapter. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I've run into, I mentioned this in the other service too, in the past week, I have run into several Christians, not members, not Lutherans, Christians in Rockford, had conversations with them, Christians who don't go to church. Of course, I told them about sp815.org, but I didn't for a minute assume they'd actually go look. There's too much white noise for people to go home and Google us or anything. And if you think they're just going to drive way out here and walk in on a Sunday morning out of the blue, that's very unlikely. I bring this up, though, not because I don't hope that. I definitely hope that. I gave them Sons of Solomon packets, you know, that kind of thing. I talked about it. But what I found most amazing is these are Bible-reading Christians who don't go to church. And almost every one of them said, you know, I used to. And then I couldn't take the people anymore. Let's look at that verse. Not that I have already obtained this, 
or I'm already perfect. There's this, it's not just an image, it's a reality that many, many Christians and many, many churches think they've attained it. They think they've got what they need. And as a result, they're very willing to let everyone else know how it ought to be. That humble pill I talked about earlier is missing from them. What we want here at St. Paul and anywhere where Christ is truly preached is to have a different attitude. Where anybody who would come in would know that we don't think we've attained anything. All we know is that he is risen. Alleluia. So he has attained it and he continues to give it. And so we keep pressing toward it because we know that's what the spirit makes us do. Yes. The next verse as well. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. When we looked at Colossians, Paul said it this way, bear with each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means as we seek to have knowledge and be discerning, and all the various stories from all over come our way. And we find out, well, that person thinks that. And this person doesn't agree with that. Remember, none of us have attained anything complete aside from take and eat. Aside from you are baptized. And so as we seek to walk with each other in gentleness, we're to bear with the confusion. We're to realize that not everyone's going to see things the way that we see. But we're going to press toward what we can see together. Which is the certainty of what the Bible actually says. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see what that means? That we don't actually have to agree about everything. We just need to submit to what God has clearly said. Now, I'll admit that from my point of view, some of these stories from the world are testing that boundary awful close in my heart. I am a pro-life pastor, and I think abortion is evil. And I think in keeping two dead bodies in Petri dishes for 40 years to keep testing on them is wicked. And that's what Pfizer and Moderna and others are doing. But just because someone can't see that, and I've got one of my best friends can't see that. He's a pastor. He's a good man. Just because he can't see it doesn't mean I'm not going to be his friend or I'm going to claim he's no longer a Christian. Yeah. Now, he hasn't condemned me. What I find fascinating, again, is how much one side seems to want to push the other even harder. But again, that's where we're going to be different here. We're going to be centered on what we know to be true. And we're going to talk about how we love babies. And we love family. And we love boys being boys and girls being girls. And we love honest scales. That is, weights and measures that don't steal. And we love forgiving each other when we step on each other's toes. Because that is what it's like to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. God will reveal our differences to us in time, and we will see what we need to see. Only, verse 16, let us hold true to what we have attained. This is my body. This is my blood. Another story, I know I'm pushing the limits here, but uh, recently uh, I was shared with a book that, uh, that many Christians like. And in this book that, that's very popular right now, many Christians like, the woman is talking about gratitude and thanksgiving. 
And uh, it's, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, it's not a bad idea to take note today. You know, what can I be thankful for? Nothing wrong with that. But there's a number of moments where she begins to talk about how she's out in creation and she looks at the moon and, and she sees the beauty of this moon and, and the life that God has made. And she could be at home with her family, loving them, caring for them, but she'd rather be out here being saved by the moon. Now that language is jarring when you see it, but let me suggest something to you. It doesn't mean she's not a Christian. It means she doesn't have the Lord's Supper. Because when you don't have the Lord's Supper, you gotta go look for Jesus somewhere else. And you gotta find him in the creation that he's made. And indeed, he is the creator. The problem is when you ascribe salvation to the moon, you're one step in another from actual paganism, worship of nature. Let me remind you, St. Paul, what a blessing you have, not only to know the gospel of salvation by grace, but to know that you can find this grace in your hand, in your mouth, every single week. Hmm? And in this, let us hold fast to what is true and see how set apart we truly are. I'm going to keep reading here, verse 17, where he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have. Verse 18, so important. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. When he said a moment ago that in time, God will reveal to us the differences between our debates. And if we remain mature and focused on those things we know, they shall not divide us. The reason he can say this is because the enemies of the cross of Christ will never stop. Maybe you've heard the old hack about how uh, the, the person who doesn't believe the Bible first says, I just want to be at the table with you. I just want to be allowed to sit with you. And then once they're comfortable at the table, they say, I just want to be able to be the vice president. And then once they're the vice president, they say, I just want to be able to be the president. And then once they're the president, they say, I just want you to leave. That is the way the enemies of Christ work. They take a little, they take a little. The camel knows under the tent. You've heard that one too, I imagine, yes? So in this, know that the enemies of Jesus Christ who have set themselves against him in this age and are clearly attacking his institution of marriage and his institution of babies, uh, they are not going to stop and they're not gonna let us stay in a corner and say we're different. So these things will all become clear in plenty of time. What we need to know is know that we are not those enemies and that if we are to fight those enemies, it's not with a sword, not first. The sword is the sword of his word. The sword is the truth of prayer to God. Yes. Now, 19, also very important. Who are these enemies? How can you learn to see them as well? It says their end is destruction. That is, that's what they're actually working for folly tears down the house with their own hands. Their end is destruction. Here's the key. Their God is their belly. They live only for today, only for the pleasure. Even when they hoard up everything for the future, it's so that it can be more like today. They can have more things for their flesh and they glory in their shame. If you've never seen the pictures or watched one of the pride parades in one of our major cities, You don't know what it's like to see someone glory in their shame. Kids, don't go Google that, but parents maybe do. It is quite profound and wicked. 
how they do this. Their minds set on earthly things. We're not like that. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, Jesus Christ, who will again transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject even all things to himself. Jump down to chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's the same thing he started with. His prayer for them is that their knowledge of what the scriptures of holy Jesus Christ say would equip them to look at a world of madness and confusion and see good and evil and push for the good, knowing we never really achieve it this side of the life of the world to come, but also certain that every fall lands on the rock, which is Christ, who is again the sure foundation, the cornerstone that shall never be removed. And so again, falling on Christ, up we stand. Sinning against one another, we forgive. And feasting upon the flesh and blood of the ever-living man, we expect each of our lowly bodies to one day shine like stars. In the name of Jesus, amen.